This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The CBS Evening News, coming up next. Today's CBS Evening News podcast is sponsored by Prevagen. Do you have concerns about mild memory loss related to aging? And have you thought about taking a supplement to improve your memory, but would like to hear from a pharmacist first? Now there is good news. Prevagen is the number one pharmacist-recommended memory support brand, so you can safely take care of yourself with confidence. Prevagen, healthier brain, better life. 2019 Pharmacy Times Survey. Statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Breaking news tonight. Warning shot. The defense secretary issues a new threat to strike Iran first after militias overrun and burn part of the U.S. Embassy compound in Baghdad. Why he says he fears future attacks on Americans. Out of flavor. The FDA bans many popular flavors of e-cigarettes. How soon the new rules go into effect and why some activists are saying they don't go far enough. Highway Sniper. More than a dozen cars shot at on busy Florida interstates. Windows blown out, leaving people in fear. Tonight, the search for the gunman. Victims of hate. Another assault in a New York Jewish community. Why police are investigating it as part of a string of hate crimes. Plus, the family of another victim makes an urgent appeal. Please stand up and stop this hatred. Abducted on camera. Surveillance video captures a woman screaming as she is grabbed and dragged away. Tonight, what police are calling a break in the case. Wildfire catastrophe. Tourists run toward the ocean as fire spreads across Australia. Why some people are aiming their anger at the prime minister. You're not welcome, you Doctor versus machine. Could a computer do a better job of diagnosing you with breast cancer? Plus, Mighty Mo. This athlete's spending her golden years racking up gold medals. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening. Nora is off tonight. I'm Margaret Brennan. We begin with breaking news on the rising tensions in the Middle East. There has been a missile attack on the airport in Baghdad tonight. It comes after Defense Secretary Mark Esper told reporters today that, quote, the game has changed. He said Iran and its allies are planning new attacks after the one this week at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Right now, 750 army paratroopers are headed to Kuwait, as many as 5,000 more paratroopers and Marines are expected to be sent to the Persian Gulf in the coming days. We are covering this story from Baghdad to the president's resort in in Florida. David Martin leads us off tonight at the Pentagon. David, what's the latest? 
Margaret, tonight the Iraqi government says three rockets have hit the Baghdad airport. Video on social media shows vehicles on fire and the Iraqis say there are civilian casualties. As of now, a U.S. official says there are no reports of American casualties. This is the damage done by what U.S. officials call an Iranian-backed mob to the American embassy in Baghdad. And Defense Secretary Mark Esper, speaking to reporters off camera, says there are indications militias loyal to Iran are planning further attacks. Do I think they may do something? Yes. And they will likely regret it. The embassy has been reinforced by more than 100 Marines. And Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley says it is secure. Anyone who attempts to overrun that will run into a buzzsaw. I'm Ian Lee in Baghdad, where tensions are still high. American Apache attack helicopters are patrolling the skies over the U.S. Embassy. The protesters have left, replaced by elite Iraqi troops guarding the compound. But American troops and diplomats are also based at about 15 other locations in Iraq, some of which have come under rocket attack by Iranian-backed militias. General Milley says last week's attack was the largest and deadliest yet. We know that the intent of this last attack was, in fact, to kill uh, American soldiers. On Sunday, the U.S. retaliated with airstrikes, which destroyed ammunition dumps, but also led to the anti-American protest at the embassy. Defense Secretary Esper says the game has changed. We have all the capabilities inherent in the United States military to either respond to uh, further attacks or to take preemptive action if additional attacks are being prepared. In the airstrikes on Sunday, U.S. planes deliberately avoided hitting buildings where Iranian advisors might have been located. Next time, they might not be so careful. Margaret? David Martin at the Pentagon. Our Paula Reid is traveling with the president. Paula, President Trump has made ending U.S. involvement in the Middle East and bringing troops home a major campaign promise. How does he square that with these latest deployments? Well, Margaret, over the past several months, I've covered the president at his campaign rallies, and the biggest applause he gets is when he promises to bring U.S. troops home. And while he has overseen a drawdown in Iraq and Syria, the tensions in the Middle East keep drawing him back in. Since May, 14,000 U.S. troops have been deployed to the Gulf region. But the president is always mindful of re-election, and he knows that any increase in conflicts, especially in the Middle East, could cost him votes. Paula Reed in West Palm Beach. Thank you. Well, former Housing Secretary Julian Castro dropped out of the Democratic presidential primary today. His departure means half of those who launched campaigns are now out. As for the 14 Democrats still in the fight, some are raising a lot of money. Here's Ed O'Keefe. Julian Castro launched his presidential bid just under a year ago, banking that his experience as a big city mayor, cabinet secretary, and the only Latino in the race would catch on. It never did. Given the circumstances of this campaign season, I've determined that it simply isn't our time. Those circumstances include being out fundraised by other contenders, including Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who raised $34.5 million in the fourth quarter of 2019. That's quite a turnaround from the first day of the quarter, when he suffered what many thought might be a campaign-ending heart attack. Let's defeat Trump. Let us transform this country. Other candidates also brought in impressive hauls. $24 million for Pete Buttigieg, whose time as mayor of South Bend, Indiana, ended this week. And $22 million for former Vice President Joe Biden, his best quarter yet. 
I know we have. Businessman Andrew Yang, who began the year as a virtual unknown, also set a personal best, $16.5 million. We will have the resources to compete all the way through the spring. But they're all dwarfed by President Trump, whose re-election campaign raised $46 million for the quarter and has a whopping $102 million already in the bank. The president credits the ongoing impeachment saga for helping raise money. The Trump sum easily tops what former President Obama had for his re-election campaign at the same point in 2011. Of course, fundraising is just one measure of potential success. Billionaire Mike Bloomberg is spending his own fortune and has already spent $130 million on advertising nationwide for his Democratic presidential bid, Margaret. We will see if it all pays off. Well, and we've just begun 2020, Ed. Get so ready. long to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight, sheriff's deputies in Florida are out looking for whoever fired shots at cars as they drove on I-4 and I-95 on New Year's Day. At least 19 vehicles were hit, most in Volusia County in central Florida. Windows were blown out in some cases. Fortunately, no one was hurt. Investigators believe the shots came from a BB or pellet gun. Tonight, the Trump administration is moving to ban most types of flavored e-cigarette cartridges in an attempt to crack down on vaping by teenagers. Critics, including the president's former FDA commissioner, say the new rules don't go far enough. Here's Dean Reynolds. Despite all the warnings, illnesses, and even deaths tied to vaping, 19-year-old Piper Johnson says e-cigarettes have an enduring attraction for young people. It looks trendy. It looks cool. Like, it's something social you can do with your friends. Last summer, she fell seriously ill after vaping and might have died without quick treatment. Did you have the impression it was safer? Oh, yeah. Everyone said it was the safer alternative to cigarettes. Today's government decision to ban most flavored e-cigarettes is designed to reduce usage by the young. We're going to protect our children and we're going to protect the industry. But while the administration says fruit, candy, mint and dessert flavored vaping cartridges will now be prohibited, tobacco and menthol flavors get a pass. And tank-based vaping devices like these, sold primarily in shops, will also be permitted. The policy is a far cry from the president's original call in September to ban all flavors, including menthol. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, a Trump appointee, tweeted that most kids will now simply switch to tobacco and menthol. But Mitch Zeller of the FDA disagreed. The data is clear. Kids prefer flavors like mint, fruit and candy. They don't use, to a large degree, flavors like tobacco and menthol. While many health officials criticized the new policy as too weak, the American Vaping Association called it a partial victory because it will allow thousands of small businesses to remain open. Margaret? Dean Reynolds, thank you. A 24-year-old woman was charged today in the latest anti-Semitic attack in New York City. A recent wave of assault has the Jewish community there on edge and police on high alert. Don Daler reports. Surveillance video of the New Year's Day attack shows a Jewish man in Brooklyn being punched in the neck by a woman after an eyewitness says she yelled anti-Semitic slurs. The 24-year-old woman was arrested. It's just one in a series of at least 13 such attacks, many documented by grainy security video, that have happened in the New York City area over the past 10 days. Today, the family of the most seriously injured victim from the Muncie, New York machete attack, 71-year-old Joseph Newman, 
gave some grim news. He has a fractured skull. He's been sliced like through his neck. He has a shattered arm. The doctors do not have high hopes for him. New York City has increased police patrols in certain neighborhoods, some of which have been experiencing increased tension between African-American and Jewish residents. Community activists and local politicians have organized town halls to present a united front. I'm angry because this should not take place against my brother and sister simply because of their Jewish faith. NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea says the most important way to deal with hate is to stop it before it starts. Some of the things such as swastikas and the signs and why it is so hateful, uh, things such as that are being discussed now to introduce into the schools to address the young people. You can see some of that police presence parked in front of the synagogue behind me. Now, in response to rising fears in Jewish neighborhoods, organizations are being urged to tap into a $90 million Homeland Security Fund dedicated to protecting nonprofits. Margaret, that money could be used for everything from concrete barriers to security guards. Don Daler, thank you. Tonight, there's breaking news from Las Vegas. An arrest has been made in a suspected abduction that was captured on a home surveillance camera. Carter Evans on how this played out. And a warning, some of the video is graphic. The chilling video shows a woman frantically running to a stranger's home for help. Stop, when her attacker catches up, he throws her to the ground and kicks her. The struggle continues as the man drags the woman by her hair to a white car in the street. The altercation was all caught on a Las Vegas home security camera just before 1 a.m. New Year's Day. No one was home at the time, but the homeowner saw the video remotely and sent it to police. How important was that video in solving the crime? It was absolutely very important. We had a name that matched. During the assault, the victim says her attacker's name, Darnell. So the fact that she said his name on camera made a big difference. It made a big difference, a huge difference. It was the clue detectives needed. There was a call at approximately 3.45 in the morning in another area command that matched the name and a description that was similar to our suspect in nature. That caller reported a domestic dispute between a woman and her boyfriend, 23-year-old Darnell Rogers. When police arrested the suspect, they learned the couple started fighting after a New Year's party. The victim ran out of the car, leaving the couple's one-month-old child in the back seat. The woman in the video was found safe, and Child Protective Services is now involved in the case. Tonight, Darnell Rogers is in custody. He's facing kidnapping and domestic battery charges. Margaret? Carter Evans, thanks. The wildfire emergency in Australia is growing worse by the hour. At least 17 people have died. More than 1,400 homes have been destroyed. Tourists were fleeing by the thousands, and tempers are flaring against their prime minister. Tegan George from our partner Network 10 News is covering the disaster. As over 200 fires continue to ravage the country... Australia's military is bringing supplies to Victoria's coast for thousands fleeing to the shoreline. In New South Wales, seemingly endless lines at supermarkets and gas stations led to shortages amid a seven-day state of emergency. It's just a scary feeling, I think. There's no fuel, we've got no power, no phone service out where we are. 
This summer's deadly wildfire season has been ranked the worst on record. Fierce flames have devastated the country for months and it's taken an extreme toll on wildlife. Ecologists say nearly half a billion animals have been killed, including a third of the local koala population. Tensions are boiling over in communities toured by Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Nah, you're an idiot, mate. Where locals feel they've been forgotten. Every single time this area has a flood or a fire, we get nothing. Nearly 400 homes have burned in New South Wales alone. I understand the very strong feelings people have. They've, they've lost everything and uh, there are still you know, some very dangerous days ahead. With higher temperatures and strong winds expected to return over the weekend, unfortunately the firefight is only expected to worsen. Here at this evacuation centre in Bega, people are teeming in and many have already lost everything. Margaret? Thank you. Detroit authorities are raising alarms after 18 firefighters posed for a selfie in front of a burning home. This photo was posted New Year's Eve on Facebook, and officials say the firefighters were celebrating a retirement. The house was vacant and too dangerous to enter. The fire commissioner called it unprofessional, and the firefighters may face disciplinary action for the photo. Now, a possible breakthrough in breast cancer screening. A new artificial intelligence program made by Google has learned to read mammograms. Researchers put the computer system to the test and found it's as accurate as trained doctors at detecting cancer. And in some cases, researchers say the program is even more accurate, reducing false negative readings by almost 10 percent and spotting tumors that radiologists don't always see. Don Larson, who pitched the only perfect game in World Series history, has died of cancer of the esophagus. As a Yankee in Game 5 of the 1956 series, he faced 27 Brooklyn batters and got them all out. No hits, no walks. At the time, Larson had a reputation for carousing off the field, which led to a legendary newspaper quote calling him the imperfect man pitched a perfect game. Don Larson was 90 and survived by his wife of 62 years, Corrine. At an age when most folks are slowing down, one athlete in California just keeps on going, and she's racking up records the whole way. Jamie Ucas met her poolside. Go. At the ripe old age of 98, Maureen Kornfeld is at the peak of her career. I don't want to say worship her, but we definitely are her biggest fans. Oh, they are. And I want to hug, too. Around the pool, the woman known as Mighty Mo is a legend to everyone but herself. So how many awards have you won now? I have no idea. You lost count. I never counted. We counted. Among senior master swimmers, she's earned 14 world championship gold medals, has set 28 world records, and was recently inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame, all in a career that began at age 65. That sounds crazy. I would probably was and is. A child of the Depression, Maureen was told, good girls don't play sports. Well, look at her now. Courage. This late-in-life hobby also inspires her new family of teammates. What I like about um, the team 
is seeing them starting from little or nothing into becoming quite accomplished, and that's really neat. They train at the Rose Bowl Aquatic Center in Pasadena. When you jumped into the pool, all I could think in my head was the little old lady from Pasadena. Have people told you, like, wow, I can't believe you have so much energy? Only you. <laughs> How'd you do it? Oh, she kicked my rear. <laughs> oh, no, I so what is the key to a long life? Just plain dumb luck, really. The truly lucky ones? I'll give you a phone call. Those who've gotten to know... Mighty Mo. Oh, love you. Jamie Yukas, CBS News, Pasadena. And that's inspiration for your very own New Year's resolution. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, the aggressive efforts by hospitals to stop the spread of the flu. For Nora O'Donnell, I'm Margaret Brennan. Good night. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.